a great weekend. Uh, if you have served since Thursday evening or Friday, Saturday, and then today, uh, I'm sure you are running on fumes. Uh, I, I feel you. I'm feeling the same right now. But as we've been able to sing together, have the word read over us, pray together, what a joy it is to be together exalting King Jesus. What a joy it has been. We look forward to serve Charlotte every summer. We look forward to seeing our community engaged with the gospel, our people encouraging one another, and all of you tidying up this facility. It brings such joy to all of us. We are grateful for partnership at King's Church. We're grateful for, for, for Crosspoint. We are grateful for Convergence. As I look out at this congregation, I see seasons of my journey in Christ pass before my eyes. I mean, Jeremy met him as a high schooler. He came into my house and asked my parents to give him money for Campus Crusade for Christ. And then he was my pastor for several years. I look around at, at the faces here of Crosspoint members that I got to do life with, that my family got to do life with for six years. I look over here to the left and see Brian Ottinger and, and just think about the experiences we've had since we've moved to Charlotte. He was one of the first pastors I met in Charlotte. And then as, as I think about how the Lord has, has moved through King's Church and I see the faces that make up King's, even in the balcony, and what a joy it has been. This is a wonderful Sunday to celebrate what God has done and what he is continuing to do. Over the past five weeks, we've been studying through the book of Titus. In the first sermon, I opened up this series and I pointed you to a major theme in this letter. It's gospel centrality. Being gospel-centered people will lead to gospel-centered churches. Being gospel-centered people will lead to gospel-centered churches. Over our last few Sundays together, I've not preached in four weeks. This is amazing. We want to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches at King, for King Jesus. That's what we're doing at King's. And God is raising up men to preach the word, and, and we give praise for that. So over the past five weeks, we've seen an emphasis on gospel-centered leaders, how the gospel helps fight false teaching, gospel-centered discipleship. And last week, we saw how the gospel works presently in our lives that leads to godliness and points us to our future hope of glory. Today, today, Paul, in chapter 3, he's going to encourage us to be a people who remember the work of God in our lives so that we will be ready and devoted to good works all around us. Another way of saying this a bit more concisely is our big idea today. Savoring the gospel motivates good works. Savoring the gospel motivates good works. Read with me again verses 1 through 11. And then I want to pray for us. And then we're going we're gonna to dive deep into this word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But 
But, but, when the goodness of, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. You need to take it to heart. It's trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that, that, that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Let's pray. Father, we need you now. We need your Holy Spirit to rain down on us, to fill us so that we may understand your word. Lord, we know that, that your spirit enlightens our minds, gives us new hearts. So God, we, we need him now as we look at this text. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Savoring the gospel motivates good works. Why savor? Right, you don't see that word in here. This word came to me as, as we were just, as I was studying this text and just talking with many of you yesterday about the gospel. And it also came to me because we've eaten a lot of good food recently over the past couple of days. I love to eat good food. From a really nice cooked steak to a crispy piece of fried chicken to a slice of chocolate cake or pie to Jenny's ice cream. The word savor means to taste and enjoy completely. We taste it and we enjoy it completely. We're told in Psalm 34 to taste and see that the Lord is good. We savor, savor the Lord's goodness. Savor the Lord's goodness. We taste and enjoy completely this gospel that, you, that we know. Paul has just reminded Titus in the church of the good news at the end of chapter 2 that, that Caleb brought last week. In chapter 2, verse 14, this is what Paul tells Titus, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. As a people redeemed for his own possession, we're now zealous for good works. Savoring Jesus, savoring the gospel motivates good works. As, as we began reading chapter 3, as Rohan read it for us, as I just read it, you may be thinking, man, this is a long list of do's and don'ts. This is a long list of thou shalt not and thou shall, right? But that, that's, not, that's not it. Context is everything. If we rip one and two out of that, we're going to be a bunch of legalists trying to win our ways to Jesus and to God to earn our own righteousness. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. That's not the gospel. That's not what we savor. We savor King Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That's why as we read through Titus, yes, we're, we're breaking it into chunks, but we want to be reminded we're a people of his own possession. We've been redeemed by the blood of King Jesus. Therefore, 
remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. It begins with the gospel, and out of the gospel overflows a changed life, good works. Paul isn't just listing a bunch of do's and don'ts. He's grounded it in our new identity. He's grounded it in us being redeemed and being followers of Jesus, being Jesus' people. As the people of Jesus, in, in, the, in the remainder of this text, 3, 1 to 15, we're going to see four exhortations and encouragements. <clears throat> so let's, let's jump in. The first, because, that we, because of our redemption, because of our new identity in Christ, remember who you are. Remember who you are. He's speaking to a church plopped down in the middle of Crete. They are Cretans who have come to know Jesus. They come from a background of being gluttonous, lazy beasts. He's saying, hey, remember who you are as a citizen of, a citizen of, this, of this city, but also who you are in Christ. Remind them is what he says. Remind them. Remind who? Remind the church. Hey, church, churches, I'm going to remind you now. Let's remember that we are citizens of King Jesus. Yes, a heavenly citizenship, but we're also citizens of this country following King Jesus. He trumps all. So in light of that, this is what he says. He says, first, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Paul, you can't be serious. The Cretans were thinking this. You can't be serious. They're killing us. Be submissive. Be submissive to them. American citizens, be submissive to authority and rulers. You may not like the government officials that we have in office right now. Be submissive to them. You may like them. Be submissive to them. Right? You may not like the police. You may not like the, the mayor. This is a call for us to be good citizens in our city, in our state, in our states. We want to be submissive because that is the way of Christians throughout the 2,000 years of the church. They have submitted to rulers and authorities so that they can win them to Christ Jesus. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Second, be obedient. Be obedient. Let's live obedient lives. Be ready for every good work. These good works, as you'll see and as you've already picked up, are really bookends of these first 11 verses. He says, be ready for every good work in verse, in verse 1. And then in verse 8, he says, devote yourselves to good works. Again, he's going to tell us uh, at the very end, hey, people, devote yourself to good works. Be ready for every good work. Good works. We'll get there. We'll continue. We're going to see lists of good works We'll, we'll talk through this in a few minutes. Speak no evil. Don't slander. Don't fight. Be peaceable. Show gentleness. Be like Jesus, the gentle and lowly Savior. This is a call for us to, yes, be good citizens in our cities. But it's also to be, to be good neighbors. To be good church members towards one another. So we think about within the church, we don't want to quarrel, we don't want to fight, we don't want to slander. We also don't want to do that to our neighbors. We want to love and serve and care for them, however that looks. Whether that be in an apartment, 
whether that be in a neighborhood. We want to be good neighbors and good citizens where God has placed us. Remember who you are, church. Remember who you are, redeemed. Remember who you are, people of Jesus. And then Paul, 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 Paul kind of shifts on us. Hey, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. Yet I think Paul is setting us up like he does in Ephesians 2 to truly savor the gospel. Because in order to savor the gospel, we got to know where we came from before we can know who we are. So remember who you were. Verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Think with me for a second. If you remember who you were outside of Christ Jesus, how does that affect how now you are towards other people who don't know Jesus? It, it, it really hinders, hopefully, it puts a stop to fighting and slandering and quarreling, right? Because you understand, that was once me. That was once me. Remember who you were. You were foolish. I was foolish. Without spiritual understanding is what that word means. With not truly grasping that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a human created in the name of God to worship and obey God forever. Foolish. Disobedient. Right? Breaking the law. Sinning towards God. Deceived. Deceived. Right? This is one that, that a lot of people are going to buck up against. I'm not deceived. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly who I am. The word of God says you're deceived. And the reason you're deceived is tied into Ephesians 2. The reason you're deceived is because you're walking around acting like you're alive, yet you're really dead in your sins and trespasses. You're deceived because you think you have life, yet no life is found outside of Christ Jesus. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. It says enslaved, enslaved to, to your passions of this world. This is the world's motto, let the passions Let your passions rule you. You do you. You only live once, right? This is the world's motto right here. You see, we are enslaved. We're slaves. We're slaves to this this world, to various passions and pleasures. We pass our days in malice and envy. That's where we live, in anger and jealousy. Just go take a ride on 485 or Harris Boulevard. You'll see this. You'll see malice. You'll see this next one as well, hated and haters, right? Traffic, man, I hate you for cutting me off. Well, I hate you for, for being there in the wrong spot. You know, that's, it's crazy. People are nuts. Hated and haters. Yet, in the midst of all this, I love this. For we ourselves were once, past tense. This is who we were, church. This is who you were, brother and sister in Christ. But then verse four, ah, let us savor the gospel. Let us savor the gospel. Verse four says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, God appeared, God appeared, How did he appear? 
He appeared in the face of Jesus Christ, where all of God's goodness dwells, all of God's glory dwells. Jesus came to this earth, sent by the Father, our Savior. His goodness and loving kindness appeared. We have seen the very face of God in the face of Jesus. He desires to see you experience his goodness and love. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus, our, our, our God, we're going to see here the Trinity at work. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is at work in our salvation. And the Trinity's desire is that you would experience his goodness and his loving kindness. You may have, you may have grown up in a rough situation. You may be going through some intense experiences right now in your life. God's good. God is loving. And he has revealed that at the cross of Jesus Christ. All his goodness, all his love is seen at the cross of Christ where Jesus shed his blood for us. Where he took our sins, he laid his life down for us. God's goodness and loving kindness on display, it has appeared. God loves you. God desires for you to know him. And it's simple, as we'll see here. God has not only appeared, but God has also saved. God saved. Listen to this, these rich words here. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You cannot be saved by works. So many times we hear, I'm a good person. That's why God's going to let me into heaven. You cannot be saved by good works. You will never outweigh your sin. You cannot. God has made a way. And it's through his mercy. It is freely given. He's a merciful Savior. He's a merciful God. He has saved us. Ephesians 2 says, but God, being rich in love, he's lavished his love on us. He saved us by grace through faith. And why has he done that? So that no one may boast. We can't boast in ourselves. We boast in Christ Jesus alone. We savor the gospel. He has saved us. And then how has he saved us? Yes, it's by his mercy. But then uh, what Paul does, he, he deep dives here into this mercy in this salvation, he says, by the washing, by the cleansing, right? We need to be washed. We are sinners. Our sin is great. He says, we have been washed of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has enlightened the eyes of man so that they may be regenerated and renewed. Regeneration, this new birth that Nicodemus learns about in John 3. Right? Hey, Jesus, what? what? What's going on here? How can somebody be saved? You got to be born again. You mean I got to climb into my mom's womb again and be birthed? No. You got to be washed. You got to be born again afresh by the Spirit of God. Regenerated. Renewed. Renewed. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're renewed. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. This is what has taken place 
in your salvation. The mercy of God has been poured out on you. And in that, you've been given new birth and new life in Christ Jesus. And God pours out his spirit abundantly through Jesus. This is something Jesus guaranteed. Hey, the spirit's going to come upon you when I leave. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to convict of sin. He's going to enlighten your eyes. This happens at Pentecost in Acts 2. We see this. The spirit blows and fills the apostles and the, and the, and the disciples. And they, are, they speak in tongues and 3,000 are saved. They're washed in regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We see this promised as well in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, God promises through Ezekiel, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and, I, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit all put within you. And I will, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Joel chapter two as well says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your, men, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. I will pour out my spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 really sums up 4 through 7 for us really well. It says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The question, it's sitting there. It's hanging over our heads. Have you been washed? Have you experienced this washing? If at this moment you relate better to verse 3, deceived, disobedient, dumb, foolish. If you relate better to verse 3 than verses 4 and 5, my plea to you is that you'd come to Jesus. That right now you would taste and see that the Lord is good. God's goodness and loving kindness has appeared through Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Jesus died for your sins. And right now, you can experience the salvation. You can experience this justification if you will repent of your sin and believe that Christ Jesus died for your sins and was raised on the third day. There is salvation in Jesus and in him alone. Your good works will not save you. I call you now to repent and believe. Talk with someone that you know is a believer. We would love to talk with you about life in Christ Jesus. Because this is the beauty of it. Look at this final verse right here in verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, declared righteous, God has justified. He declares us righteous because of Christ. We've exchanged our sin with Christ's righteousness, this great exchange. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hey, if if you've just confessed Christ as Lord or for the believer in here that's been in Christ for 70 years, you are an heir with Christ Jesus. And there is hope of eternal life. We will be with him forever. He is our God and we are his people. We've been redeemed and we are Christ's possession. He justifies. So God's mercy, his kindness, and his love toward mankind, right, us understanding this and savoring to the full, enjoying the gospel, motivates us to do good works. We're not saved by good works, 
but we're motivated to do good works. This final encouragement, exhortation for us is to devote yourself to good works. I'm going to go fast through this because I know everybody's getting hungry. So let's go. Verse 8 says, the saying is trustworthy. This, this, this little phrase, the saying is trustworthy, is found five times, including this one, in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And it's one of those things where Paul is going, hey, hey, take this to heart. Listen to this. You know, hey, get your ears right so you can hear this. This saying's trustworthy. What is the saying, Paul? Well, it's what we've just said, we've just seen. God's goodness and loving kindness has been poured out on you. He saved you. He has justified you. So let us devote ourselves to good works. He says here that this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist. What does insist mean? It means to stress. It means to talk about it. Stress the gospel in our lives, church, towards one another, towards those who are lost. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Belief devoted to good works. Savoring the gospel motivates good works. And good works are what? Good works are what? They're profitable. He says it right there. They're excellent and they're profitable for people. They're profitable and excellent for us in here. They're, They're also profitable and excellent for those out there. Good works benefit the church and they benefit the community. So let us stress the gospel. Let us insist on these things. Let us tell people and remind people of verses three through seven. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ Jesus. This, devote, this, this leads to a devotion of good works. We want to be motivated by the gospel. And then finally, he says right here, he says, avoid controversies. What do these good works look like? Avoid, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Evidently, there was some false teaching going on, right? There were some folks saying, hey, you got to abide by the law and believe in Jesus. Jesus plus something equals salvation. We say Jesus plus nothing equals everything. <laughs> everything is found and wrapped up in Christ alone. He says, Avoid these things. And then we get into a little church discipline. Uh, depending on your church background, you've probably never seen church discipline. Maybe you have. Uh, this is something that is needed in our churches. We're, we're a Baptist church. Church discipline is foundational to Baptist life because we believe that those who make up the church are those who have repented and believed. Yes, discipline has a negative connotation. But what the end result is in discipline, the the ultimate result that we want to see, Matthew 18, Jesus tells the disciples, is yes, we want to warn them, but we want to call them back. Then Then we go and we warn them again, and then we call them back. And if they don't, if they don't repent of their sin, if they continue in dissension, in quarreling, or in false doctrine, we got to let them go. We cannot say, you're a believer anymore. Your testimony doesn't testify to being a believer. This is church discipline. The ultimate goal, though, what is it? It's reconciliation. It's reconciliation. It's being brought back into the fold, being brought back into the flock so that they can be taken care of and encourage one another. That's why this, hey, look, Lone Ranger Christianity, it's not Christianity. We're doing this thing together. We're We're one anothering one another. Right? We're walking alongside of one another. We're holding each other's hands. And we're saying, come along. Come alongside of me as I look more like Jesus. I want you to look more like Jesus. 
This is a missing mark in many of our churches. But if, we, if you value membership, you'll take this seriously. We practice church discipline. Devote yourself to good works. This person, if they're stirring up division, yes, warn them once, warn them, warn them twice, but then have nothing to, more to do with them. They've proven themselves not to be in Christ. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. He is self-condemned. As we conclude, we've wrapped up Titus. Paul does have some concluding remarks. He says, Titus, man, I'm going to send a couple brothers to you. He says, hey, um, take care of them. Take care of them. He says, hey, as you send some brothers to me, as you send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. See that they lack nothing. Take care of them. Hey, church, as we continue to send missionaries all over the world, let's take care of them. Let's care for them. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. This is Paul's concluding thought. Hey, church, devote yourself to good works. Why? How so? So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Jesus tells us in John 15 that if we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. That's good works. That's good works. We want to be a church that savors the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we savor that, we want to be motivated to do good works. Paul concludes with a simple blessing. Grace be with you all. Oh, that grace would be with us as we leave this place today. But also, as we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the, the shed blood of Christ, the broken body of Jesus. May grace be on us. May we, through this, savor the gospel, enjoying what Christ has done on our behalf, his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. You are a good and loving God. You're so faithful. You're so good. Father, may, may we truly experience the gospel today. Yes, through one another and through this taking of the Lord's Supper. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we, as we come to the table today, we've been reminded of this beautiful gospel where God has saved us. He has justified us. We've received new life by the Spirit being poured out on us richly through Jesus our Savior. This is a family meal. We celebrate a family meal once a month at King's. He saved us through his death on the cross where his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. If you are not a follower of Christ, I invite you to watch. I invite you to watch.